So today on our Ask a Professional program, I have got a whole crew with me. So um, welcome Larry Mazio, a Phelps Health audiologist, to our program today. And also he has some people with him, um, some students, Allison and Brooke. So welcome, everybody. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, super excited to have everybody here. So we always love to start off our show with introductions. So um, Larry Mazio, I'm going to go ahead and ask you to just tell us a little bit about what you do, what audiology is, kind of where you went to school, and why you mm -hmm. love working at Phelps Health. Sure. Um, I got my undergraduate and uh, graduate degree um, in San Jose State University. I uh, got my doctoral degree at um, PCO College, and that was in Pennsylvania. And I've been practicing audiology since 1984, and um, working at Phelps Health in the audiology program. Um, and actually, I've been in Rolla since 1999, practicing audiology, hearing aid dispensing. Um, working with different providers, um, pretty much started the clinic from scratch. And right now it's built up, it's pretty busy and we, we kind of like it, we like being busy, so. Yeah, very cool. So the students that you have, let's explain why they're here with us today. Sure, the students come and they'll tell you a little bit about mm -hmm. themselves too in their program, but they are doctoral students from Missouri State University in their speech and hearing program over there. And um, they kind of go on rotations, and there's different students with different experiences. So a first-year student, as a matter of fact, if I can, I'm going to have Allison talk about the first, second, third year, and I'm going to have Brooke talk about the fourth year because they can probably explain it and what's involved in that a little better than I can. So Allison, Brooke. why don't you go ahead? So our first-year students, they are just introductory. They're learning about audiology. They have a couple of clinical experiences, which is what they do at the university. They just have a couple of clinical slots a day where they're just kind of getting used to audiology, getting their foot wet in the water. A second year student has a little more responsibility with clinical experiences. We have one offsite experience a week. So I come up here to Rolla every Thursday with Dr. Mazio and other students travel throughout Missouri to get their clinical experiences. A third year student usually does two days a week of offsite experience. So I will go to Kansas City for example for next semester so um, they do two so two days of clinical work right. very and cool one thing we probably should have said this before but when you think <laughs> about what audiology is mm -hmm. it's hearing science and then we will evaluate hearing balance systems fit hearing aids we will fit sound protection um, work and teach with providers educate other providers on what audiology is um, work within the school system um, so there's a lot of different things we do, but, but diagnostics is the main chunk of what audiology is. So. Yeah, so Brooke, can you tell us about what a fourth year student does, and then also tell me a little bit about the services that audiology can provide to, to just people in general? Yeah, yeah. So I am Dr. Mazio's fourth year intern this year. So what that means is, like Allison said, as you go through the program, you gradually kind of increase your clinical mm -hmm. experience. So you're in coursework, you're, you're getting to know the basics, but then as you progress to your fourth year, you should be working on autonomy at that point and clinical experience. So I'm with Dr. Mazio every day. So we see a, a full caseload of patients and we kind of split the patients depending on, you know, what's going on for that day and, and what we're doing. And so I'm able to pretty much work full time here in Rala with Dr. Mazio and, and Dr. Mazio is my, my supervisor. He signs off on everything I do at that point. And then at the end of the year, I will 
be graduated with my doctorate of audiology and I can move on I can I can get a job somewhere and and I'll be uh, licensed at that point and, it, and the caseload in the clinic we, we, we really see three different types we'll do diagnostics mm -hmm. vestibular which is balance and then hearing aid dispensing and so I'm able to get my eye on everything so I have a monitor on my desk if I'm not with the patient that Brooke is with and I can see exactly what's going on you know diagnostically what she's doing and it's just a, a few steps to walk to the other room so with direct supervision you know most of the time but Brooke and most of my students are fairly independent you know they have to come to you with a base skill and as a preceptor what I'm doing is just kind of helping them refine that skill and to get better at diagnostics to learn patterns of dysfunction so they can apply that for future patients but you know the the caseload is pretty diverse and, and we can get pretty busy, but the nice thing about that is with two or three of us here doing that, patients that have to have this testing don't have to wait two, three, four months to get in for something special. A, a, an infant who failed their hearing screening, if they need more diagnostic tests, sometimes there's a three-month wait, and by that time it's really hard for a baby to sleep through a test where we can get them in fairly quickly, you know. So it, it's nice to having more than just one provider in that specialty, and, and the students get the benefit of learning, but it's nice because, you know, working with the patients and, and, and getting them in faster and making them happy, that's, we really want our patients to be satisfied. Yeah, that was one of the things that we talked about outside before we started our show today, is that having these students allows the Phelps Health community and, you know, our surrounding communities that we support people are able to, you're able to see more patients, you're able to get them in quicker so that they can get back to their lives. So the, the quality and the convenience of care that you guys are able to offer mm -hmm. through this program, through these students is just really phenomenal. And, and a lot of time folk, folks might think, oh, I have a student, I'm not gonna get as good a service mm -hmm. with that, which is not true in our case because they have to come with a, the base level skill. And with yeah. me, I have a pretty high standard of what mm -hmm. I want them to do. Yeah. And you can ask them that, um, but I, I'm, a pre I'm pretty a stickler on a lot of things. So if I'm watching them do something, I'm not just gonna up and tell them you did that wrong, we'll wait. I'll interject, I'll be talking with the patient as well and adding my opinion to that. And then when the patient is finished, you know, we'll kind of discuss the case and say, okay, here are some of the things we talked about. We can include this, that, and the other thing next time. But the, the, the baseline of care is always very high quality. So what type of qualifications and training do all of you all sitting here really have to go through and complete and stay up to date on in order to practice? Um, well, back in the day when I first got my uh -huh. degree, it was a, you needed only a master's degree to practice only. Now it's a doctoral degree. Mm -hmm. um, you have to have, every, every two to three years, you have to have a specific number of continuing education units, and those have to be varied. So not only do I have to do for audiology, and, I, and a lot of those can be either in person or online, the hospital also requires me to do uh, continuing education as well. So mm -hmm. sometimes I think by the time I finish it, 60 or 70 hours of continuing education every two wow. years, which is quite a bit. And the students, um, you know, of course, you know, they're not going to have, have any degree until they graduate, you mm -hmm. know. And so they can't call themselves an audiologist. They can call themselves a student or a doctoral student, but that's all they can sign when they do it. So an audiologist needs a doctoral degree to practice um, currently. But if you graduated and you have your master's, you can still practice. But a lot of us chose to move forward 
and, and obtain the doctoral degree as well. So. Now with a doctoral degree, is there like a bridge program where it's easier to get a doctoral degree once you jump from a master's or what does that program look like? I'll let them talk about mm -hmm. that real, real quick. Um, but I can tell you for me, when I graduated with my master's, you know, and worked for years and years, and then they brought in the, the AUD, that's a doctor mm -hmm. of audiology program. So people were given a choice. You can either go through and get your doctoral yeah. or keep practicing with your master's. There's still groups of people that are practicing with their master's degree who are just as skilled as anybody else, you know. I chose to go on. I thought it would be a good thing in my career. Um, it was difficult, though, because I was working full-time, and I had two kids, you know, and they were little at the time, plus I was working another job, too, so I, I felt like during the day I worked, and I taught other classes, and then um, came home at night and had two classes a week. Mm -hmm. And back then it was online. And you you were able to do online programs at one time for that transition. Now pretty much everything is on site when you do it. Mm -hmm. So Very cool. Yeah, and I don't believe there are any more master's programs. Mm -hmm. I believe it's all the programs now that we would go through would be a doctoral program. And Missouri um, State has a program that Brooke and I both have gone through where you can finish your bachelor's degree while you start your doctoral degree. So while I finished my fourth year of my bachelor's, I did start my first year of my doctorate. So it's only two years of like postgraduate school that I had to go through. And then I have a year long externship. So it's really only three years postgraduate that we've had to go through because Missouri State has this accelerated program you can do. Very cool, yeah. that's awesome. So you're actually saving yourself a couple of yes. years, and right? money too. Yes, so <laughs> much money. Oh my gosh, school is so expensive. I went to, I'm gonna digress for a second. I went to a work college so I didn't have to pay for my undergrad. And now that I've had to pay for my master's, I'm like, man, I don't know how people do this it's, it's really expensive so let's talk a little bit more about audiology why would a provider send somebody to an audiologist what types of problems would they be having and and obviously you're going to say hearing loss will be your, <laughs> yes, your first uh -huh. one but you know there will be um patients who have you know i'll say babies if they fail their hearing screening you know they go back to the hospital or they were born and they try to rescreen them before they they um are discharged if they fail then the pediatrician would refer to audiology for something more diagnostic for them. So hearing, um, failing hearing screenings, um, vestibular or balance disorders, we will um, evaluate patients for that. Um, those are the mainstays and of course then hearing aids as well, you know, because hearing and audiology go together and hearing aids go together with what I just said. So um, th that is probably half of what we do at Phelps Health are uh, hearing aid dispensing um, uh, and the other half is all diagnostic work. So we're, so we're pretty we're pretty busy with that. Let's talk about hearing aids for a minute because I remember whenever my Nini, that was my grandmother, whenever she got hearing aids, first she found this like toy out of a, a cereal box and she used that for a while, which I know sounds really insane. <laughs> and then she went and she met with this person that sells hearing aids. So what's the difference between going to somebody that just sells hearing aids for a living, they're like a salesman, and then coming to the audiology clinic at Phelps Health? So in audiology, you're, a lot of your coursework is going to be based in hearing science and then it's going to be hearing aids and so you learned about hearing aids and you have to learn about the different manufacturers you have to learn the software that drives programming or or, or uh, changing how the hearing aid functions now back in the day when I was younger mm -hmm. you just had these little screwdriver controls on a little hearing aid and that's how you adjusted the tone mm -hmm. but now everything is so digital and advanced everything interacts with the computer so when you program a hearing aid and you fit a hearing aid on the patient you have to look at their hearing loss you have to look at their functionality of how well they understand the words when you do a word test with them 
So when we, when we actually have the patient and we're fitting them, we talk about the different types of styles that they might want. We always do trial periods with all of our patients. It just doesn't make any sense to just up and buy a hearing aid and not know if it's going to work or not. Whereas a trial period in the clinic here usually lasts between four and six weeks. And during that time, we initially fit the patient, evaluate them. We program the hearing aids based on scientific methods that are fully researched. It's called probe microphone measurements. That was a big thing that I taught in, in the program uh, to all the students there, and I made them learn it, and I made them master <laughs> that skill. And so we do that, and then we kind of track the patient um, over the next couple weeks as the hearing aids begin to adapt and give them a little bit more benefit. We check with the patient, how are you doing in this situation, that situation? So we do a verbal evaluation survey, you might call it, um, and we want to see how well they're doing with the, dev the devices. And uh, even the hearing aid software is so unique, it will actually track and tell you how long during the day they've been wearing it, what different listening situations that the um, digital chip um, thinks that the patient has been in, whether it's a small group or quiet or crowds of people. You know, it's able to analyze that because of, of the algorithm that's built into the chip. So it, it really has gotten sophisticated and you have to keep up with all this in order to understand you know, how to fully give that patient the maximum benefit from hearing aids. And there's a lot of other things you can do with hearing aids, not just have the devices in your ear, but there are accessories you can use to stream your telephone or other media directly up into your hearing aid. So you can be hands-free, you know, for phone use. You can stream your television. You can stream if you have a tablet or an iPad. Um, no one uses an iPod anymore, but you could do that too if it had Bluetooth to it. So. I just, over the course of from 1980, probably 1982 until 2021, the technology in hearing aids has changed tremendously. And I think for my students who really didn't see that back mm -hmm. in the 80s, what it was like until now. Yeah, now, none of us were here yeah, then. No, <laughs> yeah, you guys, but, but I've seen it and I've yeah. seen the change in everything and I've watched how the industry mm -hmm. have changed and so it gives me an advantage to teach them about the old ways and why the new mm -hmm. ways are much better yeah. when it comes to fitting, dispensing, and patient satisfaction. Whenever you talk about hearing aids and all of the science behind it, do patients who have hearing aids, do they, do they need to replace them more often now because of the science or do they last longer? I don't know. Brooke, I, I don't think they're really lasting any longer than they did before. I, no, I think. I mean, I think that what really will contribute to longevity of hearing mm -hmm. aids is taking care of them and I think that we do a really good job in this clinic because mm -hmm. our patients come back every three months for us to service their hearing aids for us to change any parts that need to be changed for us to you know do any maintenance or send them in for repair or anything like that so I think that's probably what would contribute to the longevity of their hearing aids. Just like you would More change the oil in a car or yes. have it serviced mm -hmm. This is an electronic device that's going 15, 16 hours a day, maybe more in your ear where there's moisture and debris. And so people, some people think that they should work all the time, no matter what, and never break down, but that's not the way that it works. But if you, maintain, if you maintenance the hearing aids on a regular basis, they're going to last longer. And I would estimate, I mean, I have people that have been in them for six, seven, eight years, and they're still 
doing okay. Technology mm -hmm. is going to change mm -hmm. over time, and you're going to see new features added yeah. on. And some people like to update their technology and do that. But it doesn't so. mean that you have to update it, right? No, no, not at all. If yet. you get mm -hmm. the benefit from that device, whether it's five, six, seven years old, I mm -hmm. don't see a reason to change anything until maybe it gets to the point where in a repair they no longer have the parts for it. And so at that point, mm -hmm. you have to kind of jump to the next generation of device. But I think there's a lot of people that do that and are willing to do that when they know that their hearing aids have given them a good service. Yeah, absolutely. Good service life. Yeah. So let's take a step back and talk about hearing loss again before you get to the point of needing hearing aids or something like that to supplement. How often should somebody be checked for hearing loss? So I'm going to be 27 this year. I can't even remember the last time I was checked. Maybe grade school probably. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What does that look like for people? The kind of rule of thumb that I have is if you're doing fine, you don't have any complaints mm -hmm. and no one has any complaints about <laughs> you, you're probably doing okay as far as uh -huh. your hearing goes. Unless you have something causing concern for that, I, I don't think getting a hearing test every year is really necessary. And there's a lot of insurances that will not cover it just to see if your hearing is normal. There has to be a reason to have it mm -hmm. done. But there's a lot of patients when we get them, there's a specific referral in the pathology that's there. They've either had fluid in their ears or they've had eustachian tube dysfunction or they've had some type of accident or injury. Mm -hmm. And of course, presbycusis, which is hearing loss from old age, or older age and mm -hmm. and that would you know the physician or the nurse practitioner or whoever is referring that patient to us please investigate this patient's hearing function you know so I would say that if you feel fine about your hearing no problems with anything there isn't mm -hmm. a reason to go get your hearing tested but uh, you know a physician is going to evaluate you he she is going to determine if an, aud an audiogram is necessary or not based on your complaints yeah you know I think you make every husband feel really good because if they feel good about their hearing then they're fine right <laughs> mm -hmm. no so, not, that's not to say because yeah. I've had the husbands and wives come in and she'll complain about him or he'll complain uh -huh, about her yes. and I just tell them I'm neutral I'm not going to yeah. get in the middle of this You're Switzerland. I said, but I'm just going to talk to you about what we're finding and I'll let mm -hmm. you guys make that decision yeah you make both of them do the test, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. So what are the different degrees of hearing loss if somebody does come into your clinic? Now, Allison, you can talk about that. So whenever we test your hearing, um, you know, you've probably heard about the test where you hear the different tones and you have to mm -hmm. tell us if you've heard it or not. That'll kind of give us a chart of what your hearing kind of looks like. So there are different types of hearing loss. Um, there's conductive hearing loss that goes on in your middle ear space, and then you have a sensory neural loss, which is going on in your little cochlea, which is your snail shell looking thing in your ear, called your inner ear as well. You can have normal hearing all the way to a profound loss. So normal, then it goes to mild, moderate, severe, and profound. So that just, it goes across the frequency, so you can have a different type of loss. You could be normal in the lower frequencies. Most of the time people lose as you get older is your higher frequencies that's where stuff starts to go first and then they start have more of a loss in those higher frequencies and they start losing their understanding that's where most people come in and say they have complaints that they can't understand people anymore they can hear but they can't understand and brooke kind of talk a little bit if you could why they have trouble understanding with high frequency hearing loss what's the cause for that because yeah. our patients will come in and mm -hmm. a, a lot of veterans um, who've been around noise in the past um, or people that have been around gunfire or people that work around machinery, farming equipment, um, even musicians, you know, mm -hmm. but let's mm -hmm. kind of talk about that a little bit. I think it's important. So, yeah, so so a lot of times people with that noise exposure, they, they lose their hearing in, in the higher frequencies, mm -hmm. okay? 
pathologically, that's just kind of how, that's the first thing they tend to lose when they have a hearing loss. So why they tend to struggle with speech understanding is that the consonants of speech, so the, the endings of words, the beginnings of words, those are the things in speech that give us the meaning. It's the vowel sounds that give the power behind speech. So a lot of people will come in and they'll say something like, you know, I can tell people are talking in the room, but I can't understand what they're saying. And that's the reason for that. It's because they're hearing those vowel sounds. They're hearing someone's talking, but they're losing the meaning of speech. They're losing that clarity. So a question that I have, and maybe Brooke, Allison, or, you know, Dr. Mazio, one of you could answer this, is hearing loss always permanent? If somebody comes in and they have this loss of high frequency or, you know, whatever type of loss, is it something that is reversible? It, part of the audiogram is going to determine if it's medically correctable or not. So as Allison kind of touched on before about a conductive hearing loss, so a conductive hearing loss involves the outer or the middle ear, okay? Mm -hmm. And many times a conductive hearing loss will be from children who get ear infections. They get fluid in their ears. Mm -hmm. So when you test their hearing, their thresholds of hearing are elevated because that fluid is blocking the transmission of sound to the inner ear or the cochlea, which is what Allison talked about before. Yeah. So the physician would treat that with either medications or a, a pressure equalization tubes in their ear, okay? Sometimes there are middle ear pathologies that cannot be corrected through medication. There's surgical intervention that would help. Um, sometimes you just cannot correct it, and so the patient would wear hearing aids for that. But the physician is always highly, uh, the physician, the nurse practitioner, the medical uh, assistant, and anyone is going to be highly involved in that aspect of it. So audiology and the, and the physician practice work together with that. A sensory neural hearing loss is a permanent type of hearing loss that cannot be corrected by the physician, cannot be corrected by medication. Um, its um, cause is typically um, genetics, uh, age-related um, trauma, um, um, medicinally induced um, problems, um, such as chemotherapy, um, mm -hmm. high doses of IV antibiotics. When the cochlea is damaged from any of that, you, it cannot regenerate, it cannot get better. So the um, uh, rehabilitation for that would be either hearing aids um, and if the hearing loss is so great that hearing aids can't help them, then there's a surgical device called a cochlear implant. And I'm really not going to get into that right now, but um, th that's major surgery that, that's done for the patient. And you go to a specific cochlear implant center for that. You can also have a, what's called a mixed hearing loss, where some of it is conductive, some of it is sensory neural. And that, again, working with the, with the physician provider and the audiologist mm -hmm. to do what's best for the patient. There's a good majority of these cases where when they're corrected, their hearing's back to normal and the patient's very satisfied. Others, when, you, when it cannot be corrected, then hearing aids would be the rehabilitation choice for them. We've got a couple of minutes left and I wanna talk about keeping our ears healthy before we get to the point where we need to have an appointment with an audiologist, right? So how can we keep our ears healthy? So, Brooke, Brooke, why don't Allison. you start, and then Allison, you can finish that one. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the main thing is protecting from loud sounds. I think that wearing um, hearing protection, whether that be the muffs that go kind of over your mm -hmm. ear, the ones that go in your ear, if you, you know, can yeah. get them in correctly, I think that's very important. And that could be when you're mowing the lawn, that could definitely be when you're shooting guns, you know, any loud noises, if you're around heavy machinery at all, working yeah, fireworks. in the shop. Mm -hmm. Yeah, any of that sort of thing. And hearing loss, it's really important to do that because it's a gradual process. 
you may not notice it for years and years and years and then all of a sudden you start noticing you know what i'm having trouble hearing so taking those steps early on to protect your hearing is really important yeah great advice mm-hmm. allison anything to add no that was pretty good <laughs> <laughs> very comprehensive from a fourth year student right but i think the counseling aspect of audiology where we explain to our patients the what's and the why's with their audiogram we we ha- we use a, a, a graphic display in in our booth, um, so the patients don't have to just look at a piece of paper. It's quite a large monitor, mm-hmm. and we're able to pick everything out and show them examples of everything. So, so they're educated by the time they leave that appointment on mm-hmm. what they've just been through and what can be expected and recommendations for them. So, well. if somebody does need to schedule an appointment with you or any of your students, how can they do that? How can somebody see an audiologist? Um, if you have commercial insurance, um, typically it doesn't require a referral to the audiologist directly. Some certain Tricare plans will. Medicare requires a referral from a physician to the audiologist, but. You work through your primary care provider. You know, it's always a good starting point, but it's not always necessary. But they can call the clinic and then um, schedule an appointment. And our medical office secretaries can help schedule that and work with your insurance to determine if we're on the plan or not. Perfect. Awesome. And that clinic number for anybody listening is 573-364-5719. So we're at um, the the end of our show today. So I just want to thank you, Brooke, Allison, Dr. Mazio, for being here. I've learned so much from you today. Um, So again, thank you guys so much. Thank you. Wealth of knowledge. If you missed part of the show or would like to listen to it again, please visit phelpshealth.org.